Twelve people are viewing you since you had another strength. It just captures, doesn't it, how, how weird that world is, that this, this media world that we're in, and, and so many things that would never, never happen in ordinary life happen there. Uh, it's kind of what we're talking about in this series. Interface, we're calling it. I, we were talking about, uh, do you remember when you got your first phone? And I, I, I remember my first, it was like, I felt like Captain Kirk all the time. You flipped it open, you know, one of those things, you put an antenna and talk into it. But my pride, my, my, my claim to fame is my first computer. I got, I got one of the first real personal computers back in the early 80s. It was a K-Pro. Did anyone buy a K-Pro? No, okay, yeah. Well, okay, this was, this was like state-of-the-art. You could file 12 whole pages on a single floppy disk. And it would do your footnotes for you, but the program never worked very well. But 12 whole pages. And I thought, man, this is incredible. And I'd carry it. It weighed 35 pounds. And I carried it everywhere. I thought this was just so, so cool. Now I got one that's one of those thin, it costs about, it's about a half a pound. But what, where technology has come, it's just been amazing. It's just amazing. Um, I appreciate our worship team up here. I, you know, the Bible says dance before the Lord. It says you can dance before the Lord. And I like it when we dance. Uh, those last two songs, okay, I've had these back pains. That's why I'm sitting down again. But it's getting better, so thanks. But uh, I couldn't dance. I love to move. I, in fact, I have trouble not moving to the music, but... I can't dance with his back like this, and that is like so frustrating to me. So I got blessed, but it was also a frustrating time of worship. If you've got a good back and good legs, man, use them to dance because someday you might not have them, okay? There you go. Use them while you got them. Because we're going to start this series here. I, I want to uh, start by talking about a principle that I, it's real central to my thinking and, and to my living, ultimately. I call it the principle of proportionality principle of proportionality. And by conviction, and I talk about this in the book, uh, Satan and the Problem of Evil, if you want to go in deeper with it. But it's the conviction that anything or anyone's potential for good is always matched by or balanced by their potential for evil. Principle of proportionality. So like we're free agents, and, and this is all other things being equal. There's always if, ands, and buts. But as free agents, we have the say-so. God gives us our, the dignity and the, the say-so to affect what comes to pass. Your choices matter. They make a difference in what happens in people's lives and, and whatnot. And God wants us to bring our say-so under God's say-so so that now God's will will be, brought on, God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven because uh, our say-so is aligned with his say-so. Your say-so is your domain, your, the, the, your potential for good. And therefore, it's also your potential for evil. And the more you have of the one, the more you've got to have of the other. You couldn't have one without the other. Um, two sides of the same coin. So it, it, Milton said in Paradise Lost, he said that as, as high Satan could have soared, so low he fell. He's capturing the principle of proportionality there. His potential to shine and be glorious, well, when that turns bad, man, it becomes absolutely terrible. It, it's, it's, it's as ruinous. Uh, Shakespeare said that lilies that fester smell far worse than weeds. Beautiful flowers, when they, when, they, when they rot, they smell worse than ordinary weeds when they rot. And he's trying to capture this idea that when the beautiful turns ugly, it turns as beautiful as it was, so ugly it becomes. The principle of proportionality. Lewis, C.S. Lewis one time said that little children, he thought, have a little bit of freedom and a little bit of, uh, and therefore can have a little bit of potential for good and a little potential for evil. Uh, teenagers, a little more potential for good and a little more potential for evil. Uh, normal adults, 
still more potential for good, but then also, therefore, more potential for evil. And extraordinary adults, people who have, are exceptional in certain ways, have a certain charisma, or have certain gifts that, 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 that influence people, well, they can do still more good with their say-so, but they can also still, therefore, do more evil. Principle of proportionality. It, 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 it applies, I think, to everything. Because uh, nature is, to a certain degree, at least at our command, we can use nature either for good or for evil. The hardness of a baseball bat is very good when you're playing baseball. But if you're going to smash someone's head, in, it becomes a great evil. You see, it's, it, everything has this. And see, our, I bring that up because our fallen nature, it's a history of humanity, our fallen nature, or our in inclination at least, is to look at all the good that we could do, or look at all the good we could do with something, and to minimize the downside. What's the evil that could come about from it? Our tendency is to be enamored by the glitter of the good and wow, look what this can be without paying sufficient attention to the unintended consequences or the downside ramifications of, of what we're choosing. We ignore the principle of proportionality. It goes back to the garden, right? The servant comes to Eve and says, you know, did God say you can't eat that tree? <laughs> Look at the tree, it's good, look at the good, so, so, so it's good to look at, it's good for food, it's good for tasting, it's good to make one wise, it's good to make one like God, look at that. Doesn't tell him so much about the downside, like you're going to eat, you'll die when you eat from it. In fact, he lies about that. Now you're not going to die, forget those unintended, don't be that party killed stuff, no. Look at the good, look at the good, look at the good. And we get enamored with that. And then the downside can come around and back to bite us. It, 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 here's how it translates with technology. Human beings, our history has been this. We look at the good that achieving something, discovering something, or accomplishing something can bring about. We look at the good, and we just downplay or minimize altogether, ignore altogether the, 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 the negatives that go with it. Humans, we, we've always said, can we do it? Not should we do it. We ask, should we have done it? But we don't, ahead of time, or maybe there's some voices that do that, but... but we, we, Never once have we pulled back from knowing something because we thought maybe we don't want to know that. We can't help ourselves. Right now, we're in a kind of an interesting predicament because uh, genetic engineering is upon us and it has such promise to cure so many diseases. It's already done so much. It's an incredible, incredible tool, this genetic engineering. But uh, we're, well, in fact, we now have the potential. We have the know-how, and theoretically, at least, we have the potential of cloning a human being. We've cloned higher primates. Sometimes they work out right, sometimes not, but we have the potential. Now, fortunately, there's a universal agreement that that's banned because it's unethical to make human beings into scientific experiments. Everyone agrees with that, but never, never in the history of our race have we ever not done something that we could do, certainly not just because somebody says don't do it. It's inevitable. Someone's going to be at least trying it, and sooner or later they'll do it, and that opens up a Pandora's box of ethical issues and problems and quagmires that we haven't even begun to deal with, but it's inevitable. It's going to happen. That's, it's part of our fallen nature. We look at the good potential, we downplay the minimal potential, and it comes back to bite us. So in this series, we're calling it Interface, the way we interface with this social world. We're going to be looking at what, what, are the, what was a good Christian kingdom attitude and stance and posture to have with regard to these, these uh, gadgets and stuff that has brought our way. We're surrounded by this world of such, such potential. There's such power at our fingertips like no human beings ever in history. I can go places on my computer that 
even kings in the past never dreamed of. I, the potential for good is tremendous. All social media is really just like being handed a megaphone, really. It's, it, it's, it allows you to have a bigger voice. You can have a bigger influence, bigger say-so. And that's a wonderful thing if what you intend is good. But see, the same say-so, the same mechanism, the same megaphone can be given to those who don't have the good in the interests of people. They want to do destruction, and their voice gets bigger too. And so the stance that I have with this principle of proportionality is something I'm going to recommend throughout this series. We don't want to demonize technology. It's got so much good that it offers. We don't want to demonize it, but we also don't want to be naive about it. We want to enjoy the good and, and, and use it for kingdom purposes. But always be aware of the downside. There is a downside. There has to be a downside because anything that's got a potential for good is going to have a balanced potential for evil. We just have to be aware of that. Here's something Paul says in 2 Corinthians, a passage I like us all to keep in mind throughout the series. It's a, it's a good one where Paul says, uh, what I have forgiven, if I've forgiven anything, it's been for your sake in the presence of Christ. And we do this, this forgiveness, so that, listen to this, we may not be outwitted by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his designs. So note here that Paul is assuming that there is an agent out there. His name is Satan, and he's a smart agent. He's got designs. He has schemes. Of course, he's part of a whole kingdom of agents that have designs against us. They come only to kill, steal, and destroy. So there's an agent that's plotting against us. That means we always have to be on our guard about this. And then Paul says that he forgives. And one of the reasons he forgives is because he's not ignorant of Satan's schemes. One of Satan's schemes, Paul knows, is that when you're angry, he tries to influence you to hang on to that anger. And uh, chew on that anger and think and ruminate about the injustice that's been done to you and what a victim you are and what a right to complain you have and how wrong they were. And just chew on that. Just feed off of that. Don't reconcile with that. Don't forgive that. Hang on to that. And it promises you power by hanging on to it, but actually you're hanging on to death. Because you swallow that anger and now it becomes a, a, a kind of a bitterness that begins to pollute up your whole being. And now that you've invited into your life the one who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's why Paul says, Ephesians 5, 425, be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Now he uses a different word, paraorge, on your bitterness. And he says, and don't give the devil a foothold. When you swallow that anger, you're, you're, you're being outwitted. You're giving into one of his schemes, one of his designs. You've just swallowed poison. And if you hang on that long enough, it becomes cancer. That's one of Satan's schemes. Paul says, don't be ignorant. Know how he operates. Know what his strategies are. He's a trickster. See him coming. And then that, that applies to all of his schemes. And one of his most foundational schemes, like we just talked about it in Genesis 3, one of his most foundational schemes is this. Look at the good. Wow, look at the great stuff. Look what you can do. Oh, it's so wonderful. Don't worry about that downside negative. That's, that's Boyd. He's a naysayer, you know. Now, keep your eyes on the good. And we forget to guard ourselves against the much more subtle but just as real potential for evil that all this has. So what we decided to do in the rest of this message is this. I have a team of people who consult and about how this thing should go. And um, so if, if any credit for the message should go to me. Any, any objections, talk to my team. That's how it works. But, but, but we thought it would be good if, if um, we did a little history of technology and kind of illustrate the principle of proportionality in the history of technology. I thought, this is great. I, I, I should find this interesting. And I did. 
far too interesting. I got into a geek vortex. Uh, That little voice in my head that tries to interface me with the the, the normal world fell asleep. And so I just geeked out. And and before you know it, I have this, oh, so much interesting stuff. Volumes could be preached on this. And, And then I narrowed it down, narrowed it down to a mere 120 items or so, but that was too much. I narrowed it down to 80 items. I finally had to give it to Emily, who was one of our media people. I said, I can't do it anymore. Please cut them for me. It's, some people refer to editing as, as having to, to murder your children or something, to kill your children, right? Because you just can't get rid of them. And that's how it felt. It's like, it's too interesting. It's too good. It's too funny. It's too edited. Cut, 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 cut. And then last night, I had cut it down so much, I thought it was off sure, but then I went over again. So we had to cut, cut, cut some more. So, A, I want you to know how much I've suffered for this message. B, this, is, this, this little history here is very, very, very selective. Uh, any of you could come up there and say, how could you possibly have left out X? And I would totally agree with you. Blame it on my team. Um, also, you should, should know that, okay, you're going to get deluged with a lot of information here in the next 30 minutes. So just prepare for that. Even though it's just, whenever you're feeling overwhelmed, just say, man, it could have been so much worse. Okay. Uh, and, and, and know that this, that the dates I'm going to give here are all disputable. They're kind of approximations because scholars don't always agree on the date of something or they define it differently or sometimes we just don't know. So they're, they're approximation. All right. So let's do a quick review. How did we get here? I, I'm going to, in fact, this is the title of this message. How did we get here? And I'm going to look at what's all the technology that brought us here. But also by here, I, wanna, I want us to mean this. Here is, is, is like this. I take my dog for a walk every, every night around 6 or 7. And the streets are almost completely empty in the summer. There's kids all playing once in a while, and some people are all walking the dog. But for the most part, the, the, the streets are empty. If you were to go back to 1900 on these same streets, and go down to the Historical Society, look up some pictures, some of these old photos, you can find this. The streets at 6 or 7 o'clock at night in the summertime would have been packed with people. In fact, you go back to 1960, they would have been packed with people. I remember as a kid, uh, you know, early 60s, we'd have block parties, and, and we'd dance, and we'd sing together. And sometimes we'd go out to Shakey's Pizza. Remember Shakey's Pizza? You all sing a line together. Uh, <laughs> Michael rode the boat ashore. And we'd all, there's folk songs. It was so fun. And part, families would get to, I mean, groups of the whole neighborhood would get together. Now the streets are empty. What happened there? And just be thinking about, you know, potential for good is also potential for evil. What happened with social media, which doesn't mean that social media shouldn't have happened, but I want us to observe this. For all the good and wonderful things that social media gives to us, and they are good, and I'm not against them, but we've got to be aware of this one, among other things, this one downside, and that is that it all has the potential to empower the individual against all others. It empowers you. And see... In traditional groups, the, the tribe and the family, that was your source of entertainment, that was your source of, of comfort, that was your source of news, that was your source of, source of everything. Um, so you gather together. Why did they gather so much together in the 1900s and all throughout the 1960s? Because there was nothing else to do. Now we live in a very, very different world. And we have to, we, we have to be asking the question, what have we lost because of it, and how can we get it back? So let's go back to 1 million B.C., before Christ, or before the common era, as is politically correct to, to say today. And here's when we discovered fire, or didn't discover fire, we learned how to harness fire. Marvelous invention. Now we can be warm when it's cold, and we can cook our food. That's a real plus, man. And I'd be able to cook, cook meat, that, 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 that's nice. And we have some light at night. 
which is the first time now that our rhythms don't have to be set to the, to the night and the, the, the day. We can have our own rhythms because we can make our own light. It was a marvelous invention, but also all the evidence suggests that that was human beings' first tool. And we found out that we can kill people with that fire. And here was our first attempt at weaponizing nature. And the history of humanity, is, to a certain degree, you could describe it as a history of learning how to more efficiently weaponize nature. So the first blessing becomes the first curse. Principle of proportionality, the potential for good is always the potential for evil. 20,000 BC, we uh, invent arrowhead spears. We start using arrowhead spears. This was the first constructed weapon where a stone was put on a, a sharpened stone was put on a stick, made into a weapon. And this greatly increased our killing efficiency, which if you're a hunter is good because now you can hunt better. But of course, when, 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 when resources get scarce and you need to wipe out that fellow tribe over there, spears come in handy there as well. Principle of proportionality. In 5300 BC, uh, we learned how to, how to domesticate horses and that was an incredible breakthrough. Not as breakthrough as our, our, our ability to domesticate dogs, which happened about 10,000 years earlier. And some people argue that the only reason that we survived over the Neanderthals is because we learned how to domesticate those dogs and they helped us during hunting. So thank God for dogs. They really are our man's best friend. But let's get back to the sermon here. So we look at these horses and, and these horses, they're great because they help uh, carry the heavy equipment. They help with, with farming. You can ride them places. But their main advantage turned out to be in war. Man, you ride into battle on a horse and you got such an advantage over your foes. And now battles will happen at the speed and the power of the horse rather than the speed and power of humans. And so the lethality of war just got upped a good bit. And we're going to see that's a pattern. We always, with every invention, the lethality, the deadliness of war goes up higher and higher. And then in 3500, some genius invents the wheel. And what a great invention that was, maybe one of the greatest of all times. With this wheel now, you could pull people and you could pull large objects by using slaves or using animals or a combination of the two as your engine power. It was the wheel that built the pyramids of Egypt. It was an incredible discovery. Oh, but what an advantage it was in war. When you combine the wheel and you combine the horse, now you don't have to ride on the horse. You can ride behind the horse, not just one horse. You can have several horses, making it stronger and faster. And now you're in a chariot and you're above the ground over the other soldiers. And you got a wall protecting you. Ha <laughs> And you got all these other weapons at your, at your beck. And what an advance in military technology that was. And so the history of the human race is usually a history of the arms race. If you got it, then someone else has got to get it. And the lethality of war keeps on going up and up and up. 3000 BC, some genius discovers writing or invents writing. Now get this, this is a guy in Mesopotamia, for the first time in all history, wondered what would words look like if they were written in clay? No one had that thought. What if I had a symbol for every word you said? And, and they developed a kind of a crude alphabet that reflected the spoken word. And this was so, this was the beginning of social media because now your word could go out into society and didn't depend on you being there. Uh, words for the first time broke the location barrier. Your word now, if it was written down, could, could be spoken far from you and long after you. It gave people a sense of like freezing words in time. So kings used them to make decrees. Makes a decree, this is the decree for all time. It's written in stone. And that's all they wrote on initially before they discovered papyri. But it's an incredible invention. Now it also, like everything else, it's a megaphone. That's, also, that's all any uh, media is. It gives you a megaphone. So now whoever had access to this writing 
And know this, in technology, and this is still true today, it's only the upper elites who get to use this stuff for a long time until it finally percolates down to the commoners, okay? So writing for the first couple thousand years was a, it was a really elitist thing, but boy, did it give you, it, it, it exponentialized your power. But kings, it took about kings two seconds to realize that while this writing can be used for providing information, it can also be used for giving misinformation, for controlling people. Propaganda was invented and that fun thing is still with us to this day. All right, that's the uh, ancient technology. Now we go to pre-modern technology and we start right out of the gate with toilet paper, folks. Best invention of all of history. The principle of proportionality does not apply to this. It's all good, unless you're gonna TP someone's house and then it's not good, but, no, see, look it. And, and, and the Chinese invented this in 600. Um, now maybe, yeah, it's got nothing to do with this, but I, I, I've always been interested, I'm sure I'm not the only one, don't, you know, don't lie, that has wondered what did they do before toilet paper? I've always wondered that. So this week I found out. I, you guys, I, this blew me away. It, it makes me so glad I live in the 21st century. Here's it. Uh, water, of course. You can turn a river into a bidet if you can get to it. Then there's uh, uh, snow. That was always the big one. They've got uh, um, uh, uh, grass and moss was popular. Uh, then they had ferns and Corn cobs, I kid you not. This is, oh, I got this from a scholar. Uh, fruit skins, they use fruit skins to clean themselves. Uh, yeah, orange, wait, how about, how about seashells and sand and clay? <laughs> the Greeks use clay as a toilet hygiene. I, how does that clean, I don't know, I don't get it. But, and then, then finally, you know, once, once Rome fell and the barbarians came in and ransacked Rome, they discovered these libraries. They didn't know what reading was or even what a book was, but they sure made good kindling for firewood and wiping for toilet paper. There you go. Masterpieces were lost to history because these guys were doing their business. I tell you, let us give thanks that we live in the 21st century. Can somebody say amen? amen. All right. If you're ever feeling grateful, you just think about corn cobs. And you know and the privacy is, and you know, okay, this Chinese stuff, yeah, it was, a, it was a big step forward. They were the first to mass produce a special thing for that purpose, but it was made of papyri, all right? It was, this wasn't like Charmin, don't squeeze the Charmin soft stuff. No, to our little soft bum bums, this would have felt like sandpaper. So give thanks for Charmin. And back then, they didn't have any of the kind of privacy issues we have today. Like, I visit one of those ancient coliseums where they had 20,000 people watching the gladiators or whatever. Those folks had to go poop just like us. And so they needed a bathroom. And so the bathrooms, at least the one I saw, was this huge room of holes in a board. And everyone would come and sit there and do their business. No sexual differentiation. You got to go this way you go. I don't know what, and I don't even want to ask what they use for toilet paper. Uh, but there's no air freshener, no anything, no walls, no, not even... Not even I would have died of constipation. It's like, that's not going to happen. I, I just, I don't even want to, I don't even want to talk, anyone to talk to me when I'm there. Some places have got to be utterly private. Oh, that would have been terrible. Hey, hey, Betty, how's it going over there? Yeah, yeah. Can you pass me the corn cob? I, I'm a little. You go there, you see your boss. Hey, how's it going there? It was the tacos I had. It was really bad, sorry. In 1846, we, we invent anesthesia. Oh, wait, 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 I, I jumped way ahead. We're, we're at the movable printing press. Where are we? Yeah, movable printing press, that's where we are. So you probably thought that Gutenberg invented the printing press. He didn't. Bi Zhang in China did in 1040, whatever it was, 10, 
whatever. And this was a marvelous thing because now, I mean, before this, you had, to, you had to hand copy every book. So books took forever to copy. Mistakes would get in there. But books were very, very expensive and reading was very, therefore very, very rare. With the printing press, you can set up the type and then print as many copies as you want. It was an incredible thing. Now, it didn't go very far out of China, but Gutenberg picks up this printing press thing in 1450, and he starts to use it, and it brings about in the West what's called the, 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 the information revolution. People all of a sudden were deluged, for the first time in history, deluged with a bunch of information they didn't ask for. And it's been that way ever since. Information being piled on us. But it was, a, it was an incredible step forward. Some have argued that the Protestant Reformation never could have happened before Gutenberg. Because the Protestant Reformation was largely fought through the printing press. They made pamphlets and books and they spread them out. The literacy rate in the West started to really start to climb up at this time. And so there's all these positive things. But a book is just a megaphone. That's all it is. And they can be used for good and do a lot of good with it, but they can also be used for evil. And information that can be so helpful for the society can become misinformation and have just the same power as the information has. And aren't we living in that complex world right now? And so you don't know what to believe or what to trust, but it goes back to this, the, the, this Reformation. Then in 1608, the telescope is, is, is developed by Hans Lippenschee. It's not Galileo like you were taught. No, that was wrong. Uh, Galileo got the credit for it, but actually, as I learned this week, Hans Lippenschee. Um, and now we can look into the heavens and see things we never saw before. And what that did is it created in the West a sense of the vastness of the universe and how small we are which produced a really crisis of faith for a lot of folks. Because up to that point, humans always thought we were the center of everything. Now you're saying that this is a big universe? And then in 1633, Galileo, here's where he comes in the picture. Galileo proves, or he argues that this telescope proves that the sun is the center of our solar system and the earth revolves around the sun, not the other way around, like everyone's always believed. And some people didn't like that opinion very much. The church got irate and decided to put his foot down and give an official censor to Galileo um, and said, look, the Bible says in Joshua that God made the sun stand still. It doesn't say he made the earth stand still. That means the earth is stable. The sun revolves around the earth. And this is the first time that the Christians had pitted the Bible against science and the church lost magnificently and lost a lot of credibility in the process and should have learned from that moment on that's not wise to pitch your Bible against science. You've got to have a little more humilia on this and realize that truth comes in a lot of different directions and work it out together. Science is a friend, not a foe. Unfortunately, the church hasn't always learned that lesson and some keep on repeating that same mistake. Then we come to, folks, the toothbrush and I put that in there only because I know I'm not the only one who asked the question, what did people do before there was a toothbrush and toothpaste? I wonder, because sometimes it's not all that pleasant even with a toothbrush and toothpaste. What was, the, what was people's breath like before that? Now, they wouldn't have had the rotten teeth that we have because they didn't have sweets like we do. But I just, I want you to imagine a world before there was a toothbrush. Uh, and, and what would that be like? And I just think, of, given how bad people's breath were in the past, they had to be, and given how bad their toilet hygiene was, and given the fact that most of these folks didn't shower for months at a time, it's a miracle that human beings continue to reproduce, if you ask me. <laughs> It's, that's like a God miracle. I mean, that drive must be really, really strong because in my book, bad breath, bad toilet hygiene, and no shower is, means no, no nothing. Woo. 
Do you have all that unfresh feeling? <laughs> okay, where am I? Hey, anesthesia. Thank God for anesthesia. 1846. Discover anesthesia. Just think for a second here what the word would be like without anesthesia. Go back before this. You go to the dentist. Oh, sorry, we got to pull wisdom teeth. No painkiller, no anesthesia. In fact, there's a manual in, in, in Fort Snelling. I read it. It's out there. If you go around, there's a dentist manual, and it used to be turned to this page, where it gave instructions on how to pull out root teeth uh, out of a soldier or anybody who's having cavity problems. You put their head between your, your, your legs. You got to lean down over like this, and you get this clamp. You get on the tooth, and it says, put all your weight on it. And just, put, you know, just make sure you have some friends to hold them there as they're going crazy. Ah! I can't imagine that. And in the Civil War, people are getting their legs shoved, cut off without any anesthesia, without any, they're lucky if they got a drop of whiskey. Oh, man. I think if they came to our age right now, the first thing they'd say about us is, you guys are such wimps. Oh, you got a little back pain, do you? Oh, dear. I got your leg cut off and I, I didn't have any seizure. What do you think about that? They were tough back then. Men were real men. See, sadly, the church actually declared war on this. Not all of it, but some segments of the church resisted anesthesia. You go, why? And the answer was, well, because see, suffering, St. Augustine taught us, suffering is all a result of our sin. It's part of God's will. And why are you messing with God's will? And they got particular outrage about medical advances that would lessen the, the pain of childbirth because the Bible says that women are supposed to suffer in, during childbirth. Now, the Bible doesn't say that. It says that they will, unfortunately, suffer during childbirth. Not that they're supposed to suffer in childbirth. In fact, what the Bible says is we're supposed to be fighting against the fall, right? So we're fighting against the effects of the fall, right? And suffering is one of the effects of the fall, so we should be fighting the effects of the fall on women having childbirth and every other kind of pain that people are having. Would somebody say amen? amen. It was bad theology, and it was a wrong, one more instance of the church fighting the wrong battle and losing it and losing some credibility in the process and forcing people some to suffer unnecessarily uh, in the process because they halted the, 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 the use of uh, anesthesia for general medicine for quite some time. Gary Olatari is in the, in, the, in the place here, and he is, he is a doctor of anesthesia now. Officially, uh, he, he, was, he graduated, and he was the one student they asked to stay on as faculty, and uh, he is now in anesthesia at, at down at Mayo, Rochester. Where are you, Derry? Derry, are you here? Yeah, he's back there. Man, give me a hand. Stand up, dude. Don't be so humble. Stand up. This, this guy's got a story. Oh, dude, you've come. This mom, that whole family just rocks. Oh, my gosh. Just rocks. I'm so proud of them. Ah, God's done a great work there. Okay, so that's anesthesia. Derry, I thought I'd get a big amen out of you. Let me hear a big amen. Come on. All right. There you go. 1864, the wonderful invention of the automatic machine gun came about. Uh, before this, people had to individually load every shot. And then uh, Sam Cole came out with a revolver, right? So you can have six shots in there and kill six people before you have to reload again. Wonderful. But now... Here, 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 the, the, the lethality of war and our efficiency at killing in a quantum leap forward. Because now you could mow down hundreds of people uh, without having to reload. What a marvelous invention. See, the only good that this has, and we're, we're hitting a point now in, in our history where in this technology, it's, it's designed for one thing, and that is killing people. And from a kingdom perspective, every advance in killing efficiency when the only goal is to kill people, 
I just don't know how any kingdom person could ever find any positive value in that or any technology that keeps on improving on the killing efficiency of things. I'm kind of of the persuasion that if you follow Jesus, you love your enemies, you're not allowed to kill. And so these kind of machines are not good. It's amazing to me how controversial it is to say, I don't like assault rifles. But see, you don't find people out hunting deer with AK-47s. I just don't see what, the, what, what positive good there is on this. Here the principle of proportionality says, this is just evil. It's just evil. Now maybe you can maybe say it's necessary in a fallen world because you've got to find what, fine. But from a kingdom perspective, it's evil. Uh, technology has gone down this dark road and we keep going down it. Then in 1901, the radio was invented. We got a call from England all the way over to Canada. The Atlantic has been crossed. That was a barrier that was deemed impossible to cross just decades earlier. And see, with this radio, some wonderful things come of it because now you can have professional talent and music and entertainment in your own home anytime you want. No, only kings have had that in the past. You can, it's your own summons, this great music. And news from what's going on all around the world. Don't have to wait for the newspaper. Wow, what a great advantage. But there were some Christians who had great reservations about it. Some of their arguments are pretty silly. These are some early fundamentalists. Like one of the arguments I found was this, they, one preacher argued that Satan is the principality and power of the air, it says in Ephesians 2.2. Now, that tells me that anything that goes through the air and suspicious, like you can't see it, that's of Satan. Those airways are of Satan. And so we're not going to let airways come into our, 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 our house because uh, they are all of Satan. Not knowing that airways are going to come into your house whether you got a radio or not. Anyways, that argument didn't work so well. Kind of dumb. But they also made this argument. What's on the radio is going to be funnier and more interesting than ordinary people next door or your own family. And it's going to tend to get all the attention and take it away from your family and the people next door. They had a point there. They had a point there. One of the reasons why the streets are a little less empty is because there's interesting stuff going on in the house that we can listen to. The radio did have a downside. See, all, all this technology... It looks like we're getting more and more connected, and in a sense we are. But there's a downside, and that is that it tends to isolate. It tends to fragment community. If you're not careful, if you're not aware of that downside. 1903, the airplane was invented. The, the Wright brothers flew 852 feet that first day. And this opened up this whole new door of travel. The world became half the size it used to be. It was shrunk down. Now that... Many people, at least on the planet, have the ability to travel anywhere you want. It was absolutely incredible. But of course, 10 years after the Wright brothers, uh, it was first introduced as a weapon of war and became a very, very efficient weapon of war, helping us to kill with much greater efficiency and was one of the deciding uh, factors in World War I and in World War II and remains so to this day. Warfare took to the skies. Not only that, but we always, as kingdom people, we always have to be aware of other things that are downside, like... And this isn't to say we shouldn't fly. I don't know if we're flying. But here's, here's, we do pay for it. As a, as a race, we decide that this is worth it. However many people get killed every year in plane crashes, that's part of the price we pay for planes. And all the pollution that pumps into the atmosphere, that's part of the price we pay for, for planes. For planes <laughs> and for planes. So just be aware of that. It's not free. It's not just all glamour, glamour, glamour. There's always a downside. You can look at the downside and may say it's worth it, but at least look at the downside. 1906, air conditioners come around. Who could ever argue against air conditioners? They're wonderful. I live by them. Look, I get, I get hot when it's 68 degrees up here, sweating like a pig. So I love air conditioners. But it is one more reason why people might want to choose to stay indoors uh, in the summer rather than going outdoors. Think about it. Then we uh, have the, uh, the Ford automobile. Uh, 
they'd had cars for 25 years, but that was just for the very, 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 very elite. Ford figures out a way to mass assembly these things, and now it can be, eventually will become the property of almost all Americans. Now everyone can drive faster and farther. Hallelujah. It's good. It's wonderful. Though, of course, there are the traffic fatalities that we're paying for and the pollution that we're paying for. And on top of that, some Christians, some Anabaptist Christians, the conservative Mennonites and, and the Amish, they had other objections to the car and to the airplane. And it was this. The easier it is to travel away from home, the more you're going to be away from home. That travel itself will take away from community and will take away from, from family. And so they were against it for that reason. Now, I'm, I don't think we should go the direction of saying, okay, therefore we're not going to do any of the media. But let's learn from them. They're making a good point. This stuff does tend to isolate us and draw us away. And there's this pull of fragmentation on the family and on community. That intensified significantly in 1927 when the television was invented. Now, it didn't get mass marketed until the mid to late 40s. But here, now, you can not only hear, but you can see, experience, and hear the greatest music, the greatest talent, the greatest actors, the greatest shows, all right in your home every night. It is yours. And the news, when it happens, is right there. And a lot of Christians said no to that. Some of, the ar some of the arguments were silly, like the principality of the air kind of thing. But some of them, while they may sound extreme, they made a point. Because now you're bringing this person in. You're bringing in a babysitter. You're bringing in an entertainer. You're bringing in the person who's going to inform you. And, and you don't know if they're Christian. They could put a spit on things. They could be, you know, do you want this person to be in influencing you day in and day out? But besides that, they're going to be more interesting than your spouse and your neighbor and the community. And so they're going to tend to suck people in and away from each other. Why are the streets now empty at 7 o'clock at night when they used to be full? This is a big part of it. Yes, it can do so much good, and it does. But there's a potential evil we cannot be ignorant of. 1928, we get the, ref the refrigerator. Oh, that was a great advance. Who could have anything bad to say about the refrigerator, right? You can, you can freeze meat and you have to go shopping way less. It's a great thing. But, you know, for some native tribes, it was disastrous. Uh, and some traditional tribes, they, the, a big part of their, their uh, community life together was the, the guys would at least go out hunting. Sometimes the men and women go out hunting. And the understanding was if anyone gets a kill, you share it with everybody. Right? That's how you do it. And then someone bought a refrigerator. And they went out and got a kill and thought to themselves, gosh, you know, um, next time there's a famine, I could be sure that my family and I at least have something to eat on. So you, know, you save the remainder of your kill. And they see that Joe Schmo over there is doing it. Well, then I'm going to take care of my own. And the other one says, I'm going to take care of my own. And now everyone's got a refrigerator and no one's going out hunting. Now you've turned what was a collective thing, all for one, one for all, to every man for himself. And that really is the transition of modern society. It was one for all, all for one. We need each other. We're the source of entertainment, everything. And technology has brought us to, bring us to a point where it's kind of one for all, all for one. Yes, the tremendous blessings. But man, there's a price you pay. If you're not careful, we as kingdom people need to be careful. The computer comes around in 1937. I'll just say this. That computer that you have, it is a marvel. That tool there is so powerful. It is a major megaphone that can be used for good if that's how you intend it. But just know that by virtue of being on that computer, that potential for good is also a potential for evil. It couldn't have one without the other. Don't be ignorant of Satan's schemes. There's always a downside. Think about the downside. 
Then the atomic bomb is dropped in 1945, and this changes the world, folks. This is the zenith of our killing efficiency. With one, in one instant, you can evaporate hundreds of thousands of people. Brilliant technology. Drove Einstein to despair because Einstein helped develop it. And he did it as a deterrent because he knew that his ex-friend, now Nazi, Heisenberg, was over there, he thought, close to developing an atomic bomb. So we better have it as a deterrent. Never dreamed that we would ever, ever use it. And when we did, he just despaired. You've opened up that Pandora's box. And I'm sure there are some good uses for nuclear energy. People debate about whether it's a long-term solution or not, but there are some good uses for it. But there's also, the principle of proportionality, some demonic uses for it. It is a killer. And now we live in a world, folks, where America and China and Russia each have individually the capacity to kill every human being on the planet many times over. And there's four other nations that have that power, and everyone else desires it. North Korea and Iran and all, all terrorists just wanting to get it. We live in this kind of scary world. Now, the Bible says, pray for your leaders that they may know the way of peace. Folks, we need to pray for our leaders that they may know the way of peace, especially right now, because the moving parts are starting to suggest that we're going to back off of a 1987 treaty that, for, that prohibited any further technology development on, on, on nuclear power. Uh, but we're backing off of that, and Russia's backing off on that. It looks like the arms race is about ready to begin again. Like we need that, like a holding head. Um, pray for our leaders that they may know the ways they make for, for peace, because right now it doesn't look like they do. The transistor comes, and that's the thing that allows everything to get so incredibly small. You've got more technology in your smartphone than they had on the Apollo, uh, Apollo 1 that landed on the moon. It's just everything, stuff that used to take a computer the size of a building now fits on a little tiny microchip, and you've got a thousand, it's a thousand in your iPhone. It's just a marvelous thing. But remember, every one of those pieces of technology went further to uh, increase our killing efficiency. Spacecraft 1957 starts the space war. Then we have email. I need it, but I hate it. Then we have the Ethernet, which paves the way for the World Wide Web. Then we have the barcodes, which in 1974 I thought for sure was the sign of the Antichrist coming, but uh, that's all I want to say about that. 1976, we have cable television. Cable television, you guys. Now everybody can watch. It's wonderful. It gives us all these options, but now everybody gets to choose what version of reality you want to hear on the news and, 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 and what beliefs you want to have reinforced. So everybody gravitates towards their own opinions to get it reinforced, and then we fall into our own little silos, our little echo chambers, where our brains get hardened and, and, and stratified, and, and we lose the capacity to understand how people think who are different from us, and we even lose the desire to try to understand how people who think different from us. And all you have now is this everyone demonizing everybody, and we're away down that road and the reason I'm so glad I believe in Jesus is I don't know how a democracy survives if you don't have some shared foundation of trusted institutions, trusted information, trusted truth. Once you, everyone starts having their own truth, I, I'm glad I believe in Jesus. Amen? Amen. World Wide Web starts. I'm almost done. World Wide Web starts and, and this is such a mar now Now the megaphone is global. The megaphone gets global. Um, everyone theoretically can speak to the world. It's all interconnected and so much good can come of this and has come of this. Thank God for it. The reason we can have podcasters and pod listeners, we love you guys, is because of this technology. It can be used for good. I love the megaphone to speak and be able to impact more and more and more. But man, potential for good is the potential for evil. And with that, you see, it's not just good people and nice people and truth speakers who get on the World Wide Web. You've got, you've got, you've got jaded people, you've got terrorists, you've got sexual predators there. And yeah, the beauty of it is that you get the world on your fingertips. 
The concern about it is that you've got the world on your fingertips. And that porn is right on your fingertips and the information on how to make a bomb is right on your fingertips and the information on how to slaughter your families right on your fingertips. And all of those folks are, are screaming in the same virtual world. The potential for good is enormous, but for that reason, the potential for evil is enormous. You have to be very careful with it. Then you have Twitter, followed by Snapchat and all the other billions of things that are out there. But Twitter's the best. I use Twitter. I can put a, whenever I want, a random thought, a random experience, just put a megaphone to my head. Hey, here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm thinking, whatever. And you can follow me at Greg underscore Boyd. Greg underscore Boyd. That's where you can sign up. And, and I would like to have you follow me, actually, because, well, you know, I just want to be popular. It's like, why, why can't I be really popular? Why can't I have, like, millions of followers? Like, like, like Rick Warren, he's got millions. And Joe Olstein, he's got millions. I got, John Piper's got more than me, for crying out loud. I want to be popular. And don't tell me I was predestined not to be popular or I'll kick you. <laughs> Please follow me. Do you know you can actually buy fake followers on Twitter? <laughs> fake popularity. It's just, uh, you can even buy, you can even buy, uh, if you know the right people, buy your way onto the New York Times bestseller list. Uh, so now on top of fake news, we've got fake popularity. It's like, how pathetic is that? But it brings out this point. Now, among the other downsides of this media stuff is the fact that it, it tends to bring out, it causes people to present. And the bigger the megaphone, the more you want to look your best. Right? Put the best foot forward. We all do that to some degree, but on social media, it's a megaphone. We do it to a large degree. And so, how popular am I? Look at me, look how wonderful my life is. We put up all of our best stuff up there. And inside, everyone's saying, gosh, my life sucks because look at everyone else's life is so happy, 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 happy. And you put up happy stuff too, so they're thinking the same thing. And no one's really happy. Everyone's kind of lonely. That's the seduction of this whole thing. Finally, finally we get to this. What's the next one? Uh, iPhone, man. It, it, look, it's a part of our life. It's not going to go away. Let's deal with it. It can do such great things. But you guys, if you, if, when I imagine ancient tribes of, uh, sitting around in a circle, sharing life, sharing stories, sharing tales, telling jokes, whatever, now I imagine the families sitting around and well, I, this, last week I was doing, on this walk and I came upon this family on this park bench and they're all looking at their phones, five people. Now, maybe they just got a call about an emergency and they're all looking at it, but often families do that. And, and so the, the, the modern family, the modern tribe, everyone's kind of, this is technology, the downside of technology, it isolates, it fragments community. So I want us to just, for one minute here, close your eyes, I want to do an exercise. Uh, throughout this series, we're going to be emphasizing discernment. And, and, and so I, I want you right now to imagine one device, one piece of social media that you tend to be plugged into the most. Um, and just imagine it. And I, I want you to imagine now, just ask the Holy Spirit, reveal the good of this device. What good comes to you and to others by means of your participating in this social media? Maybe it's your iPhone, maybe it's your computer, maybe it's a video game, I don't know. But, but notice the good. And as you notice the good, give thanks for it. It is a wonderful tool, a gift. But now I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the potential and maybe the actual negative of that device. Are you you when you're on that medium? Are you you? Do you have kingdom integrity when you're on that medium? 
Do you use this for good, helpful, and godly purposes? Or is there a dark side to your presence on this medium? Are you pulled into areas of temptation that you find hard to resist? Maybe it's porn, maybe it's gambling, maybe it's gossip, it could be anything. But be honest and acknowledge that. One more question. Is your time spent on this medium God-sanctioned? Does God approve of the amount of time? Another way of asking it is, would the Spirit possibly confront you, convict you, that this time on this medium is maybe taking away time that you need to have face-to-face with people and face-to-face with God? Is it taking away from your time with God unduly? Is it taking away from your time with your spouse, your kids, your family, your friends? Just submit to God. Maybe everything's wonderful, but maybe not everything is. And then finally, ask the Spirit to guide you on how to better guard against this downside. In fact, I want to end with this. Ask the Spirit to give you one concrete thing that you can do starting today to guard against that downside of that social medium. If this applies to you at all. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you one thing today that you can do to start walking in freedom and commit to doing it today. Holy Spirit, will you seal this commitment on our hearts? Give us your discernment, your wisdom. Thank you for the gifts that we have, the say-so that we have, the megaphones that we have that can be used in such good and wonderful and positive and kingdom ways. Thank you. But open our eyes and give us wisdom to discern the dark side, to never forget there's a downside to all of this and never be outwitted by Satan's designs. Help us to guard our hearts, guard our families, guard our communities from any possible erosion from this. Give us your eyes, give us your wisdom, give us your heart, give us your love in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. If you need prayer, come on up here. We have prayer folks that will be up by the stairs. And if you want to know how to become a follower of Jesus, that's where to find out. God bless you. Go out and love people through your iPhones.